Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Research has been done on the phobias that people have, and here are some of the top fear factors. Brontophobia, which is not the fear of brontosauruses, it's the fear of thunderstorms. Claustrophobia, the fear of small, confined spaces. Necrophobia, the fear of death causes some people to worry so much about dying that they have little quality of life. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Indiana Jones famously quipped, I hate snakes, and he's not alone. Nomophobia is the fear of being without your mobile phone. People with nomophobia experience excessive anxiety about not having their phone with them, or their battery being low, or their phone being out of service. Agoraphobia is the fear of crowds. Acrophobia is the fear of heights. But the number one fear of people is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, affecting one out of ten men and half of all women, and it's actually a hundred percent of the women in my household. Here's one more phobia for you, though it's not one of the top ones. Homilophobia, the fear of sermons. If you have that fear watching today, you're in trouble. Uh, We've all experienced fear at one time or another, and we all have different phobias. And in the account of Joseph, we see how his father Jacob had fears. And we see Joseph's brothers also experienced a lot of fears during their interaction with Joseph before they knew it was him. Genesis 43, verses 1 to 10 read, And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother. And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him of my hand, Shalt thou require him? If I bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. The famine remained sore, or severe, and grievous in the land of Canaan. The grain supply that Joseph's brothers brought from Egypt soon became exhausted, and again they were in serious trouble, and they had to do something. Jacob had denied and delayed the decision to send his sons back to Egypt with Benjamin. But months later, when the last sack was empty, 
Jacob realized that they again needed food from Egypt. After Jacob told his sons to go again to Egypt to buy some food, Judah spoke up and reminded his father that this would be impossible and they would be unable to buy even a little food unless they took Benjamin with them. Judah said that the man, that is Joseph, would not even see them or talk to them without Benjamin. Judah told his father that we will not go down, that they weren't going without Benjamin, because then they ran the risk of never being able to leave Egypt. If they showed up without him, the man would assume that they had indeed lied to him about having another brother, conclude that they were spies, and then they'd be imprisoned or killed on the spot. Jacob responded with blame, and he turned everything back on himself. Why did you do this to me? Why did you bring this trouble on me and deal so wrongfully with me? Why did you even bring it up at all to tell the man that you had another brother? Several of the brothers then spoke up, insisting that they had only told him because the man had questioned them so closely and directly. They told him that the Egyptian ruler had asked if their father was still living and if they had another brother. So they told him the truth, not having any idea why he was asking, having no way of anticipating that he'd insist that they bring their brother to Egypt. Judah then bluntly put it on the line and told his father that there was no time to waste. The food shortage was severe. They needed to get food because if they didn't, all of them would die anyway, including Benjamin, as well as our little ones, or Jacob's grandchildren. Judah promised Jacob he would be surety for Benjamin, telling his father that he'd take personal responsibility for Benjamin's life. He would do everything possible to keep Benjamin safe and would be accountable for his safety. And Judah offered to take the blame if something did happen to Benjamin. He said he'd bear the blame and consequences for the rest of his life. Judah then reminded his father that they had procrastinated too long. If they hadn't delayed so long, they could have already been back down there and back with food. Genesis 43 verses 11 to 23 read, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother, and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And the men took that present, and they took the double money in their hand in Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home, and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, O oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. 
And it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Jacob reluctantly gave in. His own hunger pangs persuaded him also that he could resist no longer. Even though he was now willing to let Benjamin go, Jacob felt it would be wise to do everything possible to appease the man down in Egypt. So Jacob ordered his sons to take gifts, things native to Canaan hoping to win the Egyptian ruler's favor by them. Jacob told his sons to take some of the best fruits of the land, which was left and had managed to be saved during the famine. He was hoping that the man would recognize the sacrifice of the gift and appreciate it more, realizing how difficult such things were to obtain during the days of the famine. The gift included a little balm and a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Spices, balm, and myrrh were mentioned earlier in Genesis 37 as being carried into Egypt by the Ishmaelite caravan, the caravan to whom the brothers sold Joseph. These things were considered by the Egyptians as valuable imports. The pistachio nuts and almonds, the makings of a good trail mix, were also part of the gift basket. Jacob reminded his sons to take the money which had been in their sacks on their first trip as well as double money to pay for the new purchase of grain. Since they were bringing back the sack money, they hoped they'd not be held accountable for it, as Jacob deduced that this may have just been an oversight on the Egyptians' part, and by their willingness to return it, they were hoping to show their innocence in that matter. Finally, Jacob uh, told them to take Benjamin and to go again unto the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. He expressed his prayerful hope that El Shaddai would bless and show mercy and Benjamin and Simeon would then return home safe. If Jacob had ended his farewell speech right there, it would have been great. He expressed his trust in the Lord that God was able to do anything because he is God Almighty. His sons would have left encouraged by their father's faith and hope in God. But instead, his faith was mixed with doubt. And Jacob added, If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Or as for me, if none of you come back, I'll just have to live with it. If he was to be deprived of his children, then it would, that's just the way it's going to have to be. And as it's been said, Jacob's final comment to his sons is a statement of resignation, of a willingness to accept the worst possible scenario. This wasn't exactly an encouraging send-off, and it didn't demonstrate complete trust in the Lord. But it's very real, because we can do the same thing too and have the same kind of faith mixed with doubt and resignation. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Airlifted, Escaping the Tribulation, is a 32-page booklet based off of Episodes 120 
and 121 of the Transform by Grace program, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, President of Berean Bible Society. This booklet explains how the body of Christ has the sure hope of the pre-tribulational rapture and that we are delivered from the wrath to come in the seven-year tribulation period. It further teaches how the church should live in light of the daily possibility of the rapture before those who are in danger of being left behind. To order your copy, contact Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Jacob's sons with Benjamin then started out on the long trek back to Egypt, having no idea what might happen there. Their mission had three objectives, to prove that they were not spies, to set Simeon free, and to buy more food. After getting to Egypt, when their arrival was announced to Joseph, he immediately had them brought before him. One can only imagine his emotion as he realized Benjamin was there. And for the first time in over 20 years... He saw his younger brother. Benjamin was just a little boy when Joseph was torn away from his family. Now he was a grown man. Joseph had been waiting, watching, and wondering if they would come back or leave Simeon to his own fate, as they had done to Joseph so many years before. But finally they returned, and Joseph must have forced himself to remain calm. Joseph then arranged and ordered his steward, the ruler of his house, to bring the Canaanite men to his home and to prepare a meal at noon at which he would join them. The steward dutifully obeyed and brought the Hebrews to Joseph's house and had the banquet prepared. As a result of this, verse 18 says that the men were afraid. Joseph's brothers were beside themselves with fear. Joseph had spoken harshly to them in the past, accused them of being spies, locked them up for three days, detained their brother, and now he's inviting them for lunch. And they reasoned that this had to be about the money they found in their sacks after their first trip. Like their father, their thoughts went to the worst-case scenario, that he's probably having them come to his house so that his guards could attack them by surprise, make slaves out of them, make beasts of burden out of their donkeys. But it's ironic that they who had sold their own brother into slavery that now this is what they feared so greatly might happen to themselves. Before they entered the house, the brothers began stumbling all over themselves, trying to explain to the steward what had happened in the past. They were in agony about this money in their sacks, and standing before this unnamed steward of Egypt, they pour out this confession, telling him that they don't know how the money got back in their sacks, or who put it in there. Here it is, you can have it. They brought it all back, and they brought even additional money to buy more food. And the steward's response was reassuring. Peace be to you, for fear not. 
Calm down. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to worry about. Their fear must have changed to wonder when the steward replied that he was the one who had their money, or he had received it back then. Their account was settled. His records showed that they had paid in full. The steward said it must have been, therefore, your God and the God of your father who placed the money in their sacks. And the steward's response showed Joseph's influence on this man's life. The steward realized, of course, that the money had not appeared miraculously in their sacks, as his words might sound, but that it was from God's hand and by his working behind the scenes that their money had been restored. The steward assured them that nobody thought they stole it. He knew what happened, and they should just accept it as a blessing from God. Joseph's brothers had never thought to correlate the return of the money to the goodness and grace of God and to see God's hand in that matter. And like the brothers, we too can overlook the working and goodness of God in our lives. Through God's providential working, they had grain for free, and now their brother Simeon was restored to them, healthy and well. As Simeon was then brought out of the place where he had been kept and was set free to join them at the meal. Genesis forty-three twenty-four to 34 reads, And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender, and they made ready the present against Joseph, came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom ye spake? Is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians." And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. The steward proceeded to make the brothers comfortable, treating them as honored guests, giving them water to wash their feet, and he had their animals fed. The entire situation was totally confusing to the brothers. They had brought money, gifts, and Benjamin, hoping to appease the Egyptian ruler. Instead of being asked about any of this, they're invited over for lunch and told to wash up before they ate. The brothers had the gift ready for Joseph's arrival at noon. When Joseph arrived, they quickly presented it to him, and then they bowed down to him. And again, Joseph's dream was fulfilled in full this time, as he saw all 11 of his brothers bowing down to him. They thought that their gift was important, 
but it got no reaction from Joseph. Instead, he asked about their welfare and then about their father. Still disguising himself, he asked whether the old man of whom they spoke was still alive and well. They replied that he was both alive and in good health. And again, they bowed down as an expression of his appreciation uh, appreciation for this powerful man's interest in them and in their family. Then Joseph looked up and saw his brother Benjamin. The other ten brothers were half-brothers, but Benjamin was his full-blood brother. Same father, same mother, the only other son of his mother, Rachel. Joseph stood there with tears threatening to well up in his eyes as he looked at him. He managed to inquire whether this was the younger brother of whom the men had spoken. Without waiting for a reply, he tenderly said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And suddenly this great man and leader, this strong-hearted, tender-hearted ruler of millions, is deeply stirred and collapses inside. There are times in life when we can no longer restrain emotions, composure leaves us, and feelings take control. And because of this, Joseph had to quickly leave the room, and he rushed to his bedroom where he collapsed in sobs. All those years pass in review, all the loneliness, all the loss, all the time away from his family. And it was all too much, and his tears just flowed. Like other giants of the faith in Scripture, such as David, Elisha, Ezra, Job, Jeremiah, they all had times when they simply broke down in tears before God. But think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who wept at the grief caused by Lazarus' death, and who sobbed and wept openly as he rode in on that borrowed donkey's colt into Jerusalem. Joseph had maintained faith in God in a sensitive, tender heart through all the years of his suffering. His tears show that he had not developed a hardened heart by carrying grudges or bitterness. Instead, he had forgiven his brothers and let it all go and left the past with God. To show how hard his, his tears of happiness and emotion flowed, Joseph had to wash his face before he could re-enter the room. And when he was finally able to get himself under control and maintain composure, he gave instruction to begin the meal. After this deeply emotional moment, you have a humorous scene. In keeping with the Egyptian practice, three separate tables had to be set. One was set for Joseph to eat by himself because of his high station and rank. One was set for the 11 Hebrew brothers. And one was set for the Egyptians because it was an abomination in their culture for them to eat at the same table with Hebrews. Then Henry Morris wrote this about verse 33. After they were assigned to seats at their table, the 11 brothers noted a remarkable thing. They had been seated in order of age from the eldest through the youngest. If this were a mere coincidence, it was indeed marvelous. One can easily show that there are no less than 39,917,000 different orders in which 11 individuals could have been seated. 
Thus, for the servants to select the one correct order by chance was almost impossible. The odds were 40 million to one against it. Noting how they were seated, the brothers marveled one at another. Because how could anyone in Egypt know their order of birth? But it may be that perhaps their brother was messing with them a little. Or he may have been giving them a clue to his identity. Joseph's brothers were astonished at how they were being treated. They had worried about a number of things, including slavery, imprisonment, and death. But now, here they were, seated according to age, dining with the second command of all of Egypt with a huge feast in front of them, something they hadn't had in a long time because of the famine. These hungry Hebrews probably thought they'd died and gone to heaven. But before their brother Benjamin was served portions five times the size of the other men. And Benjamin must have thought, I know I'm a little skinny, but this is a little ridiculous. He had a heaping helping. Joseph most likely deliberately, though, honored Benjamin five times as much as the others to test the brother's reaction. But it didn't bother the brothers. And that was another good sign to Joseph. Now knowing that Benjamin was well and unharmed by his brothers, seeing that they showed no resentment toward Benjamin as they had toward himself in the past, combined with their previous acknowledgement of guilt as a whole and remorse over what they'd done to Joseph, all of this convinced Joseph that a full reconciliation was possible. And they all sat around a banquet table loaded with food, relaxing in the presence of royalty. And the brothers' fears now had been displaced by grace. Remind them, rather than reminding them of their wrongs or force them to pay for their injustices from years gone by, Joseph showed grace and kindness an extreme favor. It was a banquet of grace and full display. Thanks to Joseph, a man of forgiveness and love. One author wrote this, Joseph's life offers us a magnificent portrayal of the grace of God as he came to our rescue in the person of his son. So many come to him like Joseph's guilty brothers, feeling the distance and fearing the worst from God only to have him demonstrate incredible generosity and mercy. Instead of being blamed, we are forgiven. Instead of feeling guilty, we are freed. Instead of experiencing punishment, which we certainly deserve, we are seated and served more than we can ever take in. For some, it's too unreal, so we desperately plead our case, only to have him speak kindly to us, promising us peace. We then try to fend off his anger by bargaining with him, thinking our hard work and sincere efforts will pay him back for all those evil past deeds we're guilty of. But to our astonishment, he never even considered our attempts important enough to mention. What we had in mind was earning just enough to silence our guilt, but what he had in mind was overwhelming us with such an abundance, we'd realize we can never, ever repay. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.